welcome to Crossview Radio, weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Well, I would like to land the plane this week uh, on our podcast series on repentance. And I do plan on this being the last podcast of 2020. And uh, Lord willing, picking up back uh, again in January of uh, 2021, we began this series um, by addressing a couple of distortions of repentance. We then defined it in the next episode. And then last week, we addressed a couple of objections uh, to the concept of repentance as a gift. So this week, um, you know, if last week was kind of the negative part of it, the objections, I'd like to do the positive side of it this week, and really ask the question, where in the Bible is repentance positively taught uh, to be a gift? And I want to look at three separate lines of reasoning that I think will help to uh, clearly establish this from uh, from the Bible. And the first one is simply this. Uh, Repentance is a gift because if God is sovereign over the whole, then he is sovereign over the parts. And this one is going to be kind of our logical deduction point, um, because you cannot say that God is sovereign over the outcome, but he's not sovereign over the process. If God controls the outcome, then he must be in charge of the parts that produce that outcome. So we would use some verses here like John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, or Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, or Romans 9, 16, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. These three, uh, among many verses in the Bible, teach that salvation is uh, belongs to the Lord. And so, what we should understand is that if these verses are true, then that means that God is sovereign over the parts that make up these verses. So repentance and belief would would be uh, conversion, obviously, and that would be part of it. So God would be sovereign over that as well. But I want to give one more verse in this category that I think is helpful, and that's Acts 13.48. And that says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. This last phrase is the important phrase here. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The order is significant. It says that those who were appointed to eternal life, those are the ones who believed. It does not say that those who believed were appointed to eternal life. What can this mean? Except that God has willed certain people to be appointed to eternal life, and that that group of people will, by necessity, believe. Why do people believe? Because God appointed them. That comes first, the appointing, and then the believing comes next. We might say it this way, belief itself is not a cause, but a consequence. And if belief is a consequence, then we must likewise agree, I think, that repentance is a consequence as well. Richard Baxter affirms this when he writes that we are not elected, quote, simply to be saved, but conjunctly to believe, repent, 
and be saved. And so the ends and means together, and that all will repent and choose Christ and live a holy life, are elected to salvation because they are elected to the means and condition of salvation, end quote. So what he's saying is that um, those who are elected to be saved are also elected to repent. And that's simply the point that we're making here. And this brings us to our second point, and that is this. Repentance is a gift because it is granted by God. Now, we already saw four verses, and I'm just going to quickly mention those again. Um, And this is kind of, I think, the wheelhouse for um, this uh, concept in in the New Testament. But we have Acts 5.31 that says, God exalted him, that is Christ, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So God gives repentance. It is, it is, well, specifically here, Christ, uh, God the Son. It is Christ's uh, gift to give. Then we have 2 Timothy 2, 24-26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently endure an evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance. And then Acts eleven eighteen. when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance. Uh, those are the three New Testament passages that use the word gift uh, to refer to repentance. Uh, and then the fourth verse that we looked at last time as well was Lamentations 1, 13, that says, from on high he sent fire, into my bones he made it descend. He spread a net for my feet, he turned me back. Now remember, this is how we are defining repentance as uh, a turning back. That's at least part of the definition. And so to say that God is the one who turned him back is to acknowledge that God is the one who has the ability to do that. One to, he's the one who grants it. Um, God is the one who does the turning. But let's look at a few more verses. Um, Hosea 5 and verse 4. Uh, tells us why repentance must be a gift. This is going to be crucial coming at it um, from uh, from kind of the other side. Now, this verse specifically is not going to say that repentance is a gift, but this verse is the foundation for why repentance must be a gift. So Hosea 5.4 says, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Their deeds do not permit them to return. This presents a paradox. Sinning against God simultaneously requires and prevents repentance. People are unable to repent for the same reason that they need to repent. Jeremiah presents the solution to this when he says, bring me back. Only the Lord can overcome my inability and cause me to repent. This is found in Jeremiah 31 verse 18. It says this, I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored. Bring me back that I may be restored. Jeremiah is going to the Lord for repentance. And we see the same plea in Lamentations uh, 5 and verse 21. 
Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Again, asking God to do the restoring, to do the turning, to do the repenting. God, you do this. You turn me back to you. Restoration must be produced by the Lord. We cannot restore ourselves. And it's for this reason that one author defines repentance this way and says, Repentance thus is a divinely enabled human response. Yes, we respond, but it is enabled and caused by the Lord. This is our second point and now our third point. Repentance is a gift because we are to pray that God would cause us to repent. If repentance was anything else, we would not need to pray for it. If, if repentance was totally up to me, then why would you pray for it? Why would you ask God to help you repent? Because if God would not be involved or interfere with autonomous human free will, then he's not going to help if you pray for it. Psalm 80 is a great passage illustrating this. Um, there are three verses that I'm going to read from Psalm 80, and they are going to include the Hebrew word restore. Now, this word restore, the same Hebrew word in each case, it is translated in other contexts as repent. Now, most prominently, this is found in Psalm 7, verse 12, where it's translated as repent. So I'm going to read that first and then go to the Psalm 80 passage. Psalm 7, verse 12 says, If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. Now, take that word repent and same word, Psalm 80, verse 3, Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. Psalm 80 in verse 7, restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. And then again in verse 19, restore us, O Lord God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. We might be able to say, repent us, O God. That's the idea here. Psalm 85 has the same word. And so not only do we see this in Psalm 80, but in Psalm 85, verse 4, we read, Restore us again, O God, of our salvation. And then in verse 8 of Psalm 85, Let me hear what the Lord God will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. This is interesting. And of particular interest here is that God is acknowledged as having the ability to prevent people from turning back to sin. Let them not turn back to folly. Now, if it is totally a decision independent from God, then God would say, I'm sorry, I can't go there. I, I can't hold them back from turning because that would interfere with their free will. This confirms, this passage confirms the divine role in repentance by adding a reality that once God has turned people to himself, he is able to prevent them from turning back to their old ways. Since sinful human deeds prevent repentance, these biblical writers recognize the profound need and dependency upon divine grace. They fly to God in prayer, confident that God is able to grant them the gift of repentance. Why pray? I mean, think about this. If God will not exercise any divine influence on the human heart to repent, then why pray? 
Now, uh, I'm going to borrow this a little bit from something I read John Piper write uh, a while back, and I'm kind of paraphrasing the idea because I don't have the quote in front of me, and it's actually a little bit of a different context, too. Um, he had said something along the lines of, why pray for someone's salvation? And since we're talking about repentance, we'll adjust it a little bit and say, why pray for somebody's repentance? And the way that he said it was along the lines of uh, that such a prayer, uh, this prayer of asking God to help someone repent, it's it's either asking God to do one of two things. When you pray that someone would repent, or even pray that God would help you repent, you're praying for one of two things. Either you're praying that God would have a successful influence, or you're praying that God would have an unsuccessful influence. If you are asking God, when you pray for repentance, for someone to repent or yourself to repent, if if you pray for that and you are asking God's influence to be successful— then you acknowledge the necessity for divine intervention and grace. If, on the other hand, you're asking God to pray to have an unsuccessful influence, that's not a prayer to give repentance at all. And so you're not even praying for for repentance. And it's for this reason that I think we would have to acknowledge that every single Arminian suddenly becomes a Calvinist when they pray for somebody's salvation you have to believe that God is going to have an influence if you pray for their salvation or their repentance. And so if that is something that, as we have the pattern here, biblical writers are praying for repentance, and if it's something that we are going to do, then we have to acknowledge that it is the Lord's to give. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we respond to all this? I mean, what even is the point of going through this? And I would simply suggest that there's a lot of application here. You know, if you listen to this podcast series and say, so what? Fine. Um, Psalm 80 and verse 3, restore us, O God, that we may be saved. We need to be praying that prayer, believing that God is the one who is authoritative over this. Restore us that we may be saved. We are to petition God that God would, as Psalm 80 in verse 4 says, restore us again and put away your indignation toward us. We are to ask God, as in Psalm 85, verse 6, revive us again. We are to join Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 18 by saying, bring me back. And in Lamentations 5, 21, restore us that we may be restored. And after we have petitioned God for repentance, we are to acknowledge that our repentance came from God, as Jeremiah does when he says in Lamentations 1, 13, he turned me back. He's the one who's done this. We are to credit God with causing us to turn. Uh, Puritan uh, Lewis Bailey models this example for us in one of his prayers when he says, quote, As you add days to my life, Lord, I beg you to add repentance and correction. You have sanctified me by your Holy Spirit, made me holy, and given me much time to repent along with the means of repentance, end quote. And so there's a lot of rich application here, if only in our prayer lives, that we would pray in this fashion. If you remember, when we opened up this four-part series on repentance, we gave three thoughts on why this is an important topic to study, and I'm going to review those here. The first one is that understanding repentance as a gift from God expands our worship. 
when we know that God overcomes natural resistance, we can only do one thing, and that is worship God. Um, again, Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, how, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. This is the response when we say, I am perplexed by this. We are to go deeper into worship. The second thing that we said was important to understand was that a right view of repentance cuts off our human boasting. So God is at work humbling human pride, elevating divine glory. Uh, and just cutting off our boasting so that we worship him and him alone. And then the third thing is that we said that when we understand biblical repentance, it enhances our confidence in prayer and in missions. If we truly believe that God has an influence over whether a person repents, then we can pray in confidence for God to exercise that influence. If, however, repentance is only up to the individual, then prayer is absolutely pointless, point, pointless since God will not influence people to go against their will. So I trust that this series has proven to expand your worship, cut off your boasting, and enhance your confidence in prayer and missions. And the Lord be praised. And perhaps uh, it would be best to conclude this series with a statement by Richard Baxter. If you happen to be one who maybe struggles with the idea of election, particularly on, you know, how can I know if I've been elected to repent or not? Baxter says this, to repent is the best way to prove I am elected to repent. Have a happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, and a happy new year. Lord willing, we will see you again in 2021. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.